Sports fans of all ages, faces, and places from every stadium, arena, and auditorium all over the world. May I have your attention, please? Well, time's coming when we're going to have to handy up. Handy up and kick in like men. Like men! It is now time to bring to your listening ears, hearts, and minds a sports podcast named Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Tell him how you feel. A podcast that gives you strong, passionate, unapologetic, uncompromised thoughts and opinions about the everyday happenings in the NFL. Mahomes looking to flip, takes it in for the touchdown. And college football to the NBA in my Georgetown Hoyas. Giannis fires one down and an exclamation point for Milwaukee. To any other sporting news of the day. And now, introducing the man whose love of sports was born and bred on the greatest Muhammad Ali, Lim Bias, Magic Johnson, Bernard King, and Eric Dickerson, Wendell Wallace. And welcome to Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the World of Sports. Special dedication for those who are listening to this podcast anywhere where you are listening to this podcast on the globe. And anyhow, you are listening to this podcast as far as your podcasting hosts are concerned. Spotify, Amazon, iTunes, iHeart, whatever, whatever platform you're listening to. Do me a favor. If you are liking this show, if you are enjoying this show, do me a favor, will you? Would you download? Would you rate? Would you review? Would you uh, follow? Would you do everything necessary to make this podcast keep going and growing and doing the thing? I would appreciate that so much. And of course, I'm um, I'm doing something with your uh, Streamyard right now. My man Dan over in the UK has got me doing some stuff in terms of talking sports video wise. So my YouTube episodes are still going to be coming i thought that they would be a coming on a monday but i did a yard stream but i'll give more detail into that at another time another opportunity to see this pretty face do my show speaking about what is going on in the world of sports so yeah man there we go i want to appreciate everybody who is listening to this podcast from one end of the world to the other very much appreciated so i have just finished watching my georgetown hoyas Snap their 29-game Big East Conference losing streak. Beating DePaul at home in front of friends and family. And probably some students who wanted to go somewhere nice and quiet where they could do some studying. So they went to the student section of a Georgetown basketball game because besides them, no one else would probably show up. The fact that there were actual students there showing up to watch that team play after what they've been through this year. After being such an embarrassment to the school, to the university, and to the late John Thompson. Even his son, John Thompson III, the squad that he had his first tenure, his first part of his tenure as the Georgetown basketball coach. Man, I applaud anybody. I applaud anyone who had pay tickets to see that team play but uh it wasn't pretty it wasn't easy but we got the job done against DePaul now we're on a one game losing streak and I sure hope because of this victory that uh, Jack DeGoria the president of Georgetown University doesn't extend Patrick Ewing's contract because as much as I was saying that I wanted Georgetown to go 0 and 38 or 0 and 39 or 0 for two seasons as far as conference playing the Big East Conference, because I'm thinking that might be the only way to get Patrick Ewing out of there. One win, 
to DePaul, and then we go back to what we've been doing for the last two years in Big East play, which is losing, losing, losing. I need Patrick Ewing out of there. I love Patrick Ewing. I'll always adore Patrick Ewing, but uh, he has fallen off a cliff as far as the coach is concerned, and uh, it's time for him to go. It's time for Georgetown to go out and hire Rick Martino, bring him in there. I mean, Chris Beard just got fired from the University of Texas for uh, some domestic violence with his with his uh, fiance or wife. I don't know what it is, man. If he could promise to get Georgetown back into the uh, tournament, if he could promise, if he could promise to bring Georgetown back to pro- uh, prominence, I wouldn't give a damn. Bring him in. Bring them all in. Bring them in, Chris. You sorry that you hit your wife? Good. Come on in. You're hired. And I'll take the backlash. I'm tired of losing basketball games. I'm tired of being irrelevant. I'm tired of being an embarrassment. I'm tired of being pathetic. I'm tired of being nothing. I'm tired of not watching college basketball because it brings so much hurt and so much pain to watch college basketball, to watch the Kansas, to watch the Houstons, to watch all these teams playing their top 10 basketball. And Georgetown is at the bottom of every basketball index there is as far as uh, incompetence is concerned in, in terms of competitiveness is concerned. So, hey, man, desperate times call for desperate measures. Now, Georgetown, of course, will not bring in Chris Beard and only have joking about that. But, hey, man, you know, Slick Rick Pitino, bring him in. Yeah, I know he's 70, but I don't care, man. He can turn the program around, turn the program around. So let's do it, baby. Let's do something because we need it. We need it desperately. Wendell's World in Sports I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. That was my Georgetown rant because I'm kind of tingling right now. As I mentioned before, man, over two years, it's been almost two years since Georgetown won a basketball game against someone halfway decent. The last halfway decent victory they had was against Syracuse. And to say that DePaul, a victory over DePaul is somehow halfway decent just shows you how much to the bottom of the toilet that Georgetown has fallen uh, in college basketball. So, yeah, sorry to be so giddy. Sorry to be so happy. Sorry to be overjoyed. Sorry that after this podcast is over, that I'm going to be dancing in the street like Martha and the Vandellas. I'm going to be dancing on the ceiling like Lionel Richie. I'm going to be doing the funky chicken. I'm going to be doing the James Brown. I'm going to be doing the kid and play. I'm going to be doing the gritty, or at least attempting to do the gritty. I'm going to do it all, baby, because happiness is what it's all about, baby. Georgetown's Losing streak is now over, and at the end of the season, Patrick Ewing will be fired, and Georgetown will be back on the road to relevance. Drink that half-full glass of water of what I'm talking about, mixed in with a whole lot of optimism and delusional stuff. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. All right, let's go ahead and let's talk about the NFL. Let's talk about the NFC Championship game coming up. Let's talk about the AFC Championship game coming up. Let's talk about how we got there in terms of the NFC the game, the um, <clears throat> Philadelphia Eagles will be hosting the San Francisco 49ers. That game is going to be on Sunday at 3 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. That game will be on Fox. After that, it will be Cincinnati playing Kansas City, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That game will be on CBS. How do we get here? How do we get to those final four teams on Saturday, Kansas City? Um, what would you call their performance against Jacksonville? It wasn't earth-shattering, it wasn't overwhelming, it wasn't eye-opening, it wasn't devastating, it wasn't dominating. It was it was a professional playoff performance with facing season-challenging adversity. Speaking about Patrick Mahomes' injury, we'll get to that a little bit later in the podcast, but they beat a plucky Jacksonville team, 27-20, to 20, moving on, as I mentioned before, to host the AFC Championship game. Philadelphia, after that Kansas City-Jacksonville game, Philadelphia looked absolutely dominant. 
Jalen Hurts showing no lingering effects of his shoulder surgery or shoulder injury, beating the New York Giants in devastating fashion, even though taking the foot off the gas pedal a little bit in the second half, but first half they did their dominance to put the uh, Giants six feet under in terms of being competitive for the football game is concerned. Then I thought the better games were on Sunday where you had Cincinnati dominating, dominating both lines of scrimmages to beat Buffalo 27-10. to I'll get into that game, of course, in the San Francisco 49ers beating the Dallas Cowboys in a defensive-oriented game 19-12. to I guess everybody now, of course, is going to be talking about uh, Brock Purdy and also uh, Dak Prescott's, Prescott on opposite ends of the uh, spectrum. Of course, we will talk about that. Before. In fact, we're going to talk about that right now here on Wendell's World of Sports with yours truly, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So let's concentrate on what was the game of the weekend, right? Going into this past weekend, everybody was circling. If it wasn't the Bills in the Bengals game, it was definitely the 49ers versus the Cowboys where they were speaking about all the history. Of course, Roger Stallback rise to prominence when in a playoff game facing certain defeat. Stallback came back to uh, win the football game to start his legendary captain comeback uh, odyssey and uh, built on that. There was a situation with Dwight Clark catching the ball in the uh, left corner of the end zone over Everson Walls in the 1982 ANFC Championship game, which really started the dynasty of the 80s for the Bill Walsh-led, Joe Montana-led San Francisco 49ers. I actually remember watching that game. That was a hell hell of a game. They brought back the old Terrell Owens doing his stupidity and doing his immaturity and doing his braggadocious and doing his look at me and doing his insecurity in terms of slamming the football on the uh, Cowboy star and George Teague trying to take him out to do that. Of course, going back, we had, of course, the 90s little rivalry between the 49ers and the Cowboys with how about them Cowboys? John, uh, Jimmy Johnson and the San Francisco 49ers, Steve Young finally getting over the hump and winning his First and only NFL Super Bowl championship. Someone please take the monkey off my back. Beating San Diego 49-26 to in the Super Bowl. The real Super Bowl, of course, was that game against the Cowboys. So that was a mini rivalry during the 90s. And then, of course, we're speaking about last season. The 49ers coming into Dallas and l- eliminating the Dallas Cowboys. So all of that history, all of that was brought in, was baked in, was built in, was added in to this game on uh, Sunday. And you knew it was going to be defensive-oriented. And, of course, you knew that the major storylines were going to be centered around the two starting quarterback, Barack Purdy, and also Dak Prescott. How could Purdy stand up uh, once again, the narrative, Mr. Relevant being the last pick in the NFL draft, this rookie seventh round quarterback, how's he going to do? And the toughest game that he's going to have to play so far, his team to uh, advance to the NFC Championship game, how was he going to do against the best defense that he had played so far? And of course, on the other end of the uh storyline was Dak Prescott in terms of we spoke about his uh, propensity to throw interceptions during the latter part of the season and how was he going to perform and whether there going to be a reprieve from the criticism and the scrutiny after the game that he had against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers along with Mike McCarthy. I remember on my last podcast speaking about hey you know what man for those who think that Mike McCarthy and 
Dak Prescott should exhale because of how well that Prescott performed and how dominant Dallas was against the Buccaneers this past week. You only get a few days, man, because if you go to San Francisco and you get blown out or if you lose decisively to the 49ers and Brock Purdy outplays Dak Prescott to the tune where San Francisco wins this game without question with with, with great comfort, then all of the noise and all of the nonsense and all of the screaming and all of the yelling and all of the hair pulling and all of the Cowboy fans punching their TV screens and Cowboy fans taking out their TV and putting it on the ground and, and rolling over their TV with a car and all that kind of nonsense that you saw on Instagram, all of that stuff would come back to fruition if the Cowboys would have been blown out or beaten, been beaten decisively by the 49ers. Well, that didn't happen. The 49ers won 19-12 in a defensive-oriented game, but the heat and the pressure and the criticism once again is going to fall squarely back on Dak Prescott, who, um, whatever way you want to say it, whatever excuse you want to make about he didn't have Tony Pollard and all this other stuff, a seventh-round draft pick, Mr. Irrelevant, the last player drafted in this past NFL draft, outplayed Dak Prescott, a man who was making $40 million a year on average, the $40 million ban. He was outplayed by someone who's known as Mr. Irrelevant, unacceptable, inexcusable. So the 49ers advanced to their second straight NFC championship game, third championship game in the last four seasons. The Niners now have won 12 games in a row uh, for the first time that happened since 1984. Um, and the offense for San Francisco did just enough to win the game. The defense was fantastic. Against the Cowboys on Sunday, held Dallas to 282 total yards, only 15 first downs, won the turnover battle, and as we know now, when you're speaking about games over a decent period of time, that when the San Francisco 49ers win the turnover battle, they are going to be winning the game. They are now 15-0 this season when it wins or ties the turnover battle. So again, Brock Purdy outplayed Dak Prescott. Made the plays when he had to. He wasn't Joe Montana. He wasn't Patrick Mahomes. He wasn't Joe Burrow. He wasn't Tom Brady a few years ago. He wasn't a pro bowler. He wasn't a Hall of Famer. He wasn't someone that took his team on his back and led him to the championship game. But he was good enough. 19 of 29, 214 yards, no touchdowns. And most importantly, even more important than any other stat that I just mentioned, no turnovers. No interceptions. And in a game that had few big plays as far as offense is concerned, Purdy made the biggest play of the game um, during the uh, third quarter. 519 left to go in the third quarter where he made the uh, 30-yard completion to George Kittle to move the ball from the San Francisco 21-yard line to the Cowboys 49-yard line. Was a lot of that due to the excellent one-handed stab of a grab by George Kittle? Yeah, but Purdy was part of the play that had to be made. And that was a that was the catalyst for that ten play ninety one yard touchdown drive. The only real offensive consistency that either team had during that game. Offense didn't produce high numbers because the Cowboys never put them in the position at, at scoring because of turnovers or a huge negative plays. You know, they don't, the 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 Forty Niners only had three hundred twelve total yards. They averaged five yards per play. They only had three penalties, but the 49ers did enough to win the football game.
And uh, that, should be, that should be the message. Christian McCaffrey wasn't explosive. He wasn't dynamic. Debu Samuels was good. Brandy Ayuk was MIA for a lot of the game, but George Kittle was solid. He was probably on the offensive side of the ball, the MVP of that game. And the 49ers did what they had to do on offense to win the football game. Something that's a rarity that you see in today's football game. Today's football, the way the game is fo- the way the game of football is played, is pretty much a rarity. What the 49ers are doing, which is on offense, just do enough to win and don't blow the game because we have a great defense that's always going to keep us in the game. That sounds like that sounds like the philosophy or the stew or the recipe for what the Baltimore Ravens did back in the day where they won their Super Bowl with a dominant defense and had Trent Dilfer at their quarterback. That was the philosophy that the New York Giants had when they made it to the Super Bowl against those Baltimore Ravens where they had Kerry Collins at the quarterback. That was a situation where um, you don't see that nowadays. You're not supposed to win football games like that. You're supposed to have a dominant franchise, Hall of Fame type quarterback leading your team. You're supposed to have a dynamic offense to lead their team to a Super Bowl, to a championship. Now, San Francisco has not made that extra step yet to win a Super Bowl. The philosophy that they have, old school, very effective, Kyle Shanahan, one of the better offensive uh, play, play callers and coaches in the NFL as of right now. They have a strong offensive line. They have a great running game. Kyle Shanahan has installed a great running game, just like his father did when he was the coach of the Denver Broncos. Now we're going to see what's going to be happening with Brock Purdy. If Brock Purdy can make this team, can take this team, can lead this team, can be part of this team for a team to go to the Super Bowl, let alone winning a Super Bowl, I don't know which story would be more sexy. I don't know which story would be more palatable. I don't know which story would be more relevant. I don't know which story we could we could choose in terms of, oh my goodness, someone from Hollywood come over here and write a script because this is unbelievable. Of course, the easy answer would be Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, oh my goodness gracious, he comes off the bench and leads his team to the Super Bowl. I can only see Hollywood uh, coming up with a storyline for that nonsense. But man, what... Kyle Shanahan is doing is as equally as impressive because look man we haven't seen something like this probably if the 49ers win this Super Bowl this is probably a situation that's going to be the closest to what Bill Belichick did when he had Tom Brady a rookie or a first-year quarterback who came out of nowhere before anybody knew who Tom Brady was and before Tom Brady really became Tom Brady leading his team after beating Pittsburgh on the road, the team that was supposed to be the squad that was going to go to the Super Bowl, that was going to play the Los, uh, the St. Louis Rams in the Super Bowl. But they went to um, they went to uh, Pittsburgh, won that game, then played the um, St. Louis Rams, who were then heavily favored to win that game. And I know what happened because Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, what they became... But that was the start of the dynasty. That was the start of Bill Belichick being Bill Belichick. That was the start of Tom Brady being Tom Brady. And that was the start of the New England Patriots morphing and growing into the greatest dynasty in pro sports and NFL history. But before that, before all that happened, nobody was expecting all of these things to happen because going into that Super Bowl against the Rams, they were heavily uh, uh, considered underdogs. 
and we're speak to, and, we're, and we're in the um, talking points on um, the talk shows about man if they uh, win this game this could go down I remember doing the show KDUS the Deuce in Phoenix AM 1060 when I did my uh, morning and afternoon radio show there speaking about man if the um, if the Los Angeles Rams or excuse me the, if the uh, um, St. Louis Rams lose this game this could go down as one of the greatest upsets in NFL history because nobody was speaking about Bill Belichick and nobody was speaking about Tom Brady so, man, the, the, this is the situation that is the most similar to what the San Francisco 49ers are going through right now. Now, Kyle Shanahan is more thought of as a coach than Bill Belichick was back in those days. Bill Belichick was known as a great defensive coordinator who flamed out his first try as the coach with the Cleveland Browns. But going into that season and going into that Super Bowl, Bill Belichick was not thought of as he is thought of as right now one of the greatest coaches in sports history. And of course, I already told you about Tom Brady. Now, am I going to try to say that Brock Purdy, Tom Brady? No, but what I'm saying is if you follow that narrative, if you follow that storyline, if you follow the what could be, if the San Francisco 49ers pull this off, this could be the greatest, most unpredictable story of a team winning a Super Bowl since that New England Patriots team with Bill Belichick and Tom Brady as newbies to the stage of legend and superstarism went ahead and beat the St. Louis Rams uh, in that Super Bowl. I think it was down in New Orleans. I think that's where the game was. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So what are the chances? What are going to be the chances of the Eagles losing to the 49ers? The Eagles come in with a Cinderella story of their own at the quarterback position. When, when you think about uh, Jalen Hurts and you think about the Philadelphia Eagles and you think about their coach, they're, they're, they are a team that many people predicted that they would be better that they were on the rise, that they would maybe even win the NFC East. But to be as dominant as they were and showed how dominant they were, there was a little bit of hand-wringling. There was a hand, little bit of storyline telling in terms of, hey, you know what? The Philadelphia Eagles, you have Hurts' shoulder. How is that going to come into play against a red-hot New York Giants team? Danny Jones throwing for over 300 and running for over 70 yards and throwing three touchdowns against the number two seed on the road with the Minnesota Vikings. Could be? Could is it possible? The Philadelphia Eagles said very quickly, no, 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 no. Nope, not going to be happening. We're going to expose the New York Giants as just who they are. The New York Giants, who you thought of when the season was going to begin, and what did that say about the Minnesota Vikings in terms of what their record and what their storyline and what their narrative for this season and what the book that was written, the story that was going to be told, the play that was going to be written, the movie that was going to be filmed about the 2022 Minnesota Vikings, what does that say? The fact that the Giants were totally exposed as frauds against the Eagles in terms of being championship contenders, but yet and still they went ahead and did what they did against the Vikings. What did that show for the Minnesota Vikings? I got a whole off season to talk about that baby. But um, the 49, excuse me, but the Eagles, yeah, very impressive, very impressive. And going into this championship game, do I give the 49ers a realistic chance of winning? Possibly. But do I think they're going to? No, <laughs> I really don't. 
I, I think as good as the 49ers defense is, containing Jalen Hurts on a play-to-play basis is going to be a hard thing to do. Uh, I think that the uh, defensive line, which had 70 sacks this season, speaking about the Philadelphia Eagles defensive line, is going to put pressure on Brock Purdy like he's never seen before. They're going to have to rely on the running game, and if there is a slight Achilles heel when it comes to the Philadelphia defense, it is that running game for the Eagles, but I think they will tighten that up, and I think that they will contain, not stop, but contain and control uh, Christian McCaffrey, and I think that's going to spell doom for the San Francisco 49ers. The storybook tale of the San Francisco 49ers will end, and we'll also kind of get a glimpse of what's going to be happening when the 49ers start their next season. If Purdy is completely rattled, if Purdy has a bad game, if Purdy is overwhelmed by what the Eagles do, then the narrative, again, will be back to, well, who's going to be the starting quarterback, Trey Lance or Brock Purdy? Or who has the inside track, who has the lead at the start of OTAs and mini camps and training camps to be the starting quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers? You might say Brock Purdy, but how how much is that lead. If Brock Purdy is going to be the starting quarterback, how long or short is going is his leash uh, going to be with uh, Trey Lance sitting on the sidelines ready to pounce at an opportunity if, if Brock Purdy does not play well or seems out of place, out of step, out of, uh, out of a realm of competing against a team like the Philadelphia Eagles and if he does play well well then that's going to answer that's going to bring up a whole lot of other questions in terms of well it seems to me that if Purdy can lead this team to the Super Bowl then by all accounts he should be the number one starter with a bullet going into the next season so what does that leave you for Trey Lance because now you have the advantage of having a starting quarterback who's going to be in year two of a rookie contract that pays him less than a million dollars. So you could use the three or four years or two or three years that you have left for bringing that bag to Brock Purdy to build around the San Francisco 49ers even more. So what would that say for Trey Lance? Or what does that say for maybe a team that's in need of a, a quarterback to take a, uh, to take a chance on Trey Lance in a trade? What could that be? Just a scuttlebutt, just a thought, just the entertaining of the discussion would be something that would be interested headed into the offseason if Purdy can play well enough for the 49ers to pull off the victory, even if it's a defensive-oriented game that uh, Purdy would have those type of storylines and that type of momentum and that type of advantage moving into the offseason. So interesting storylines for each team moving forward, win or lose um, for the NFC championship game. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So we spoke about the 49ers. Now it's time Speak about them Cowboys, huh? How about them Cowboys? <laughs> um, I remember saying on my last podcast that uh, Dallas should win this game. Dallas should win this game. Now, was I anticipating Tony Pollard breaking his leg? No. But I thought Dallas should have won this game. And I thought Dallas, or I, I should say the opportunities were there for Dallas to win this game. Do I think the Cowboys are a better team than the 49ers? No. But is the gap so wide that it would have shocked me if the Cowboys would have won this game? No. 
They should have won this game. Defense played well enough to win this game. Dak Prescott got outplayed by Brock Purdy. That's inexcusable. And that should be unacceptable. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say we should throw out Dak Prescott and Cooper Rush could have been better and we need to get rid of Prescott and he's a bum and all this kind of stuff. No, 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 no. I'm not going to say that. I mean, the stupidity, the the ridiculous thought that you need to trade Dak Prescott. Who is better on that team than Dak Prescott? And don't you dare say Cooper Rush. What is a better alternative other than, um, let me tell you something, Josh Allen ain't walking through that Cowboys door. Okay, Patrick Mahomes is not walking through that door to be the quarterback of the, the uh, Dallas Cowboys as he's being introduced by Roger Stallback and Troy Aikman. You know, Joe Burrow is not leaving Cincinnati. The Dallas Cowboys cannot trade for a better quarterback. The Dallas Cowboys cannot get themselves a better quarterback. And with Jerry Jones now talking about, look, man, I'm too old to be rebuilding. I need to win now, now, now. Do not bring up the name Jordan Love. Do not bring up the name Trey Lance. Do not bring up the fifth-round draft pick that they're going to draft and groom to be the quarterback for them to be Super Bowl contenders in three or four years. You already did that when you drafted Dak Prescott fourth or sixth round out of the University of Mississippi. Mississippi State. So we're, Jerry Jones is too old and he's too ambitious and he's too, uh, shall we say, impatient at this time of his life to start over again. So Dak Prescott is going to be staying with the Dallas Cowboys, whether the Dak Prescott haters like it or not. Because like it or not, as of right now, Dak Prescott still gives you the best chance to win. But it wasn't good enough on um, Sunday. So it leads to, okay, if we're going to have Dak Prescott on our team and somehow, someway, we need to improve the play of Dak Prescott, who is going to take the fall for the faults of Dak Prescott? Is it going to be Mark McCarthy? Is it going to be Kellen Moore? As in, Mike McCarthy will have the permission to fire Kellen Moore and bringing the offensive coordinator of his choice. What's it going to be? Where are we going to go with this? Because now Dallas has fallen to 0-7 in divisional playoff games since 1995. Um, they finished with just 282 yards of total offense, 4.7 yards per play, and were 5-15 on third downs. You know, D- Dallas has now won 12 regular season games in each of those seasons and has only, been, and has only won one game in those playoff rounds. Lost to San Francisco for the second time in a row. A team that on paper, Dallas should win. Prescott against the 49ers. 23 of 37. 206. Two interceptions, no touchdown. It's the sixth multi-interception game for him this season, which ties him for first in the NFL. So where do we go with the Dallas Cowboys? What do we do? with the Dallas Cowboys. How can they get better? Where can they get better? And and now it's going to be a situation where what Dallas does in the regular season means nothing. Next year Dallas is going to go 14 14 and 3. Who cares? Dallas is going to go 15 and 2. Who cares? Dallas is going to go 13 and 4. Who cares? Who cares? Okay, it's not about the regular season anymore. Oh man, this defense is awesome. Who cares? Michael Parsons is going to win Defensive Player of the Year. Who cares? Who cares? C.D. Lamb had now established himself as one of the elite wide receivers. Who cares? 
That stuff doesn't matter anymore. All of this bullshit, all of this nonsense, all of this hype, all of the accomplishments that the Dallas Cowboys have achieved during the last two years, now moving into the 2023 season, none of that matters. Because when you hit the playoff, that moniker of you cannot win the big game is going to be hanging over them. So now, regardless of what game that they play in the regular season, it will not be a big game for the Dallas Cowboys. There is no game next season in the NFL regular season for the Dallas Cowboys that could constitute, quote-unquote, a big game unless they are fighting for their playoff lives. Unless it's a game to where if they lose, they will be eliminated, and if they win, they will be in the playoffs. Other than that, the Regular season is about a level above irrelevant because it really doesn't matter. What have you done in the playoffs, the Dallas Cowboys, and it has been nothing. And I don't want to hear about injuries. I don't want to hear about anything else. Everybody has injuries. Hell, you lost to a team that had a seventh-round draft pick quarterback outplaying you guys. Don't tell me about Tony Pollard being injured. Don't tell me about any of this other nonsense. Don't tell me about Ezekiel Elliott being washed up. No. The Cowboys had that talent. The Cowboys had that opportunity to win that game. Now, moving into, we always speak about the Cowboys' best, this is the Cowboys' best chance to uh, win a Super Bowl. Maybe if you were watching that Dallas Cowboys team play in October, maybe when they were playing like one of the best teams in the league uh, in week 12, 13, or 14, somewhere around there, uh, maybe. But, you know, this, this game, are you really going to say that the Cowboys, this was their best chance when they were going to have to go on the road and play a Philadelphia Eagle team that looked very impressive against the New York Giants? Now, if the Cowboys would have beaten the San Francisco 49ers, then regardless of how much the scoring margin was between the the uh, Philadelphia Eagles and the New York Giants, a win on the road against one of the best defensive, if not the best defensive team in the game, the San Francisco 49ers, that would have superseded anything that the Philadelphia Eagles would have done the day before against the New York Giants. So there would have been a whole lot of optimism to say, if we can do that against one of the best defenses in the NFL, we can do that again against another one of the best defensives in the NFL, speaking about the Philadelphia Eagles, and we have the quarterback now and we have the defense to do it the defense showed that he could stay with any team in any game the offense the quarterback has shown in the playoffs that it cannot so this is a situation if you're Dallas where do you go what do you do Mike McCarthy is he going to be the scapegoat Kellen Moore is he going to be the scapegoat you need to do something you at Dallas you need to do something you're not getting rid of the quarterback so you have to work with Dak Prescott. That contract constitutes that he's not going anywhere for a couple of years, even if you wanted to get rid of him. And the way that he's playing now, you ain't going to trade him for nobody. And as I mentioned before, you're not going to be bringing in a developmental quarterback, whether through a trade or through the uh, draft. So for the next couple of years, whether the Cowboy fans, whether Jerry Jones, whether Stephen Jones, whether the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders, and whether Tom Landry up there in heaven, uh, up there watching this game saying, doggone it, what's going on with them doggone Cowboys? Whether you're living, dying, Cowboy fan, whatever, you're with Dak Prescott for the next couple of years. How can we get better? How can you improve him? It is just a matter of bringing in new coaches, bringing in new philosophies, are we kind of putting too much into Dak Prescott? 
Do we need to surround him? Do we, Tony Pollard is out with a broken leg. We don't know when he's going to be coming back. We don't know how a running back, as versatile as Tony Pollard, we don't know how much of that injury is going to linger into his effectiveness and his performance from now on moving forward. So what do we need to do? Do we need to make a trade for a DeAndre Hopkins? Do we need to do something to bring in a veteran running back? The defense is fine. The defense is going to be fine. Maybe it might take a little bit of a hit if Dan Quinn, the defensive coordinator, go gets gets another job. But the the defense is going to be fine. Defense is good enough to win Super Bowl. The defense is good enough to win championships. The offense is not. The offense is not. So so what do we do? We continue to move with Dallas Schultz as one of the uh, main targets for Dak Prescott. C.D. Lamb continues to improve. The offensive line for the Cowboys uh, played pretty well. Tony Pollard emerged as a pretty good three-down running back. As I mentioned before, though, he's out. He's going to be out with an injury, broken leg. We don't know how long the recovery is is, is going to be. What, what are the Cowboys going to be doing? Focus mainly on the offensive line. Focus mainly on the skill position. Focus mainly on the offense. And priority number one, focus on Dak Prescott. Man, you're paying him too much money. He's taking too much of the salary cap for him to be just a game manager. For him to be a middling, middle of the road type of quarterback. You're paying him to be a top 10 top 12 at the very least quarterback he not he might not be in the same discussion in terms of best quarterbacks in the league he might not be up there with the Mahomes he might not be up there with the Joe Burrows he might not be up there with the Josh Allens he might not be up there with the Justin Herberts he might not be up there with the Jalen Hurts he might not be in that discussion but he damn sure better be in the next tier and close to it and in the next tier, you're speaking about a quarterback tier from about 7 to 11, 7 to 12, around there. He damn sure better be better than Kurt Cousins. He damn sure better be better than uh, Daniel Jones. He damn sure better be better for now uh, than Trevor Lawrence until Trevor Lawrence is going to catch him maybe in another year or two as he ascends to being one of the top quarterbacks in the league. Man, he's being paid $40 million a year. He better be just as good or close to being good as Lamar Jackson. He better be in that ilk. He better be on that stage. He better be in that play. He better be in that race. So what are you going to do with Prescott moving forward with the Cowboys? Because that is going to be the key for the Cowboys moving forward. Not just this next season, but the season afterward and afterward. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So, yeah, man, we are set with those two games. I'm going to come back and I'm going to speak about the Cincinnati Bengals. Joe Cool, Joe Burrow, played like the best team in football on Sunday, didn't they? What are their chances against Kansas City? What are Kansas City's chances against Cincinnati? How about that? Can they survive Kansas City an injury to Patrick Mahomes if Patrick Mahomes is going to be 55%, 60% high ankle sprain? What does all that entail? So I'll get into that. I also have to get into the um, Philadelphia Eagles, what they did. I also have to get into the, um, the the Buffalo Bills, what's going to be happening with them moving forward. Have to be speaking about the, um, oh yeah, the, uh, the uh, Jacksonville-Kansas City game. Have to have a lot to speak about concerning these playoffs in the NFL. And I don't, gotta have, I don't have a lot of time to do it because I'm already 40-something minutes in. So I got a boogie. I got to get down and boogie-oogie-oogie. So let me get down and boogie-oogie-oogie on this oogie-oogie-oogie break. And I'll be back. Wendell's World in Sports. Wendell Wallace. 
get down, and let's boogie. A special dedication to those who listen to this program from across the nation. From the heart and soul of Wendell Wallace, you have my greatest respect and admiration. Wendell's World and Sports is a podcast like no other, made for the listening pleasure for my sisters and brothers. My passion for the sports happenings of the world today, overflowing my skills and talent will always be showing. A king like Bernard, my podcast will be held in his highest regard. Hope that my listening base will be reached from near and afar. My episodes in this greatness are like that of Tom Brady's. My podcast is great for all the fellas and ladies. You say my podcast isn't the best? Man, you must be crazy. Holding up the Champions Cup like the Tampa Bay Lightning hold up the Cup of Stanley, sacking the competition more times than Dexter Manley, I will deal with the fools and haters quite handedly and quite candidly. I'm that damn good. So please, stay in your lane. What I'm doing, you can't be a partaker. If you even think about missing with my show, in the words of The Undertaker, you will rest in peace. Wendell's World and Sports download, subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, enjoy anywhere, anyway, anyhow you listen or watch your favorite podcast. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. Woo! Boy, I'm so still giddy about Georgetown winning the basketball game. How pathetic is it when I'm this happy with Georgetown victory over DePaul? Now, I was a guy, you talk about my fandom, you speak about my reverence, you speak about the love that I have for Georgetown, as I mentioned before, when you're speaking about everything in sports in totality, everything in my life, this is how pathetic I am. Uh, I'm going to let you know right now that everything in my life, in terms of Georgetown basketball, that's probably somewhere in my top 12. Of course, the number one thing in my life is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you don't believe, as I understand, not, 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 uh, not judging you. Uh, Tied for um, the Lord and Savior as the most important thing in my life is my mom. Then after that is Mikkel Davis. Then after that is Sidney Davis. And then after that is me. Uh, Then after that, uh, I don't know, man. There's some other things, I guess, health and all that other nonsense. But, you know, Georgetown basketball is is right up there. (laughs) Georgetown basketball is right up there. I ain't married. I don't have any kids, so... You know, I can't put them up there. So, yeah, the Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ, my mom, my brother, Mikkel Davis, my goddaughter, Sydney Davis, then me, because, yes, I care about those before, I care about them things before me. Then, uh, yeah, after that, um, 
what else is important in my life? Uh, my relationship with Christ is up there, you know, making sure that I stay by his side no matter what happens in my life because everything is for a reason. So no matter what happens in my life, bad, good, whatever, indifferent, that uh, my relationship with him stays strong, ain't preaching, just teaching. Um, other than that, yeah, George, Georgetown is probably right up there, right number eight or ninth. In terms of the most important thing in my life. Now, do I need better perspective? Do I need to grow up? All of those type of things, criticism. You can throw me those criticisms. So I'm speaking about my love and affection and desire and devotion to Georgetown. But, uh, hey, man, they're way up there. So, uh, yeah, in a season like this, I used to be physically ill. And I'm not talking about when I was a child, which I was. But I'm speaking about a guy in his 40s. When Georgetown would lose, I would become physically ill. It would just ruin my entire day. Now Georgetown has been so irrelevant. They've been so bad. They've been so embarrassing. They've been so pathetic. They've been so inept that it's almost like watching a car wreck. It's just like they've they've sucked the passion and the life out of me in terms of maybe it's a good thing. Maybe this is a sign that I need to grow up and this is a good way for me to grow up because Georgetown losing basketball games don't affect me anymore. When seven, eight years ago, they did. Hell, four or five years ago, it did. Hell, three years, it did. Not like it did 20, 25, 30, 35, 40 years ago, but, you know, the fact that I can watch a Georgetown game, they look completely inept and they lose, and I just go, yeah, okay, cool. What's, what's, uh, what else is going on in my life? The fact that I can do that shows a sign of growth, but it also is something that I really miss. I miss being that immature, unrealistic, ridiculous guy that would, again, become physically ill, that would be just put in a bad mood, prone to violent outbursts, leaving angry, screaming messages on my friend's answering machine about how bad Georgetown is, about how bad Georgetown lost, or how they lost that game and it was the referee's fault. I, I, I miss being that insecure, un, that, 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 that ridiculous type of person when I watch Georgetown play. Hopefully Rick Pitino or somebody can restore that weakness that character flaw in me because I really miss it. I really do. But Georgetown, way to go, fellas. Primo, way to go. Jordan Riley, love you, man. Way to go. Excellent job. Hey, Brandon Murray, nice job, man. Way to go. And Coach Patrick Ewing, even though I can't wait to see you go at the end of the season, that was a good win, fellas. That was a good win. From me out here in Vegas to the fellas on O Street in Northwest Washington, D.C., excellent job, fellas. Go out. And get some trim tonight. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host. Go down to Howard University, man. The most beautiful females walking this earth. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host. Wendell Wall is so glad that you could be with us. Okay, let's get back to football. Um, the uh, Philadelphia Eagles. Dominant over the New York Giants. 38-7. Game was over by halftime. Philadelphia led 28-0. Jalen Hurts was like, oh, shoulder injury? Let me tell you about shoulder injury. Started 7 for 7, 89 yards. Now he had all day to throw the football, but the Eagles built a 14-0 lead after the first quarter. Dallas Goddard caught a touchdown. Devonta Smith caught a touchdown. Uh, the Eagles held the Giants to 64 yards at halftime. Daniel Jones returned back to Daniel Jones through an interception and was hit five times. Hassan Reddick had two sacks for the Eagles in the first half. He tied the franchise record for most sacks in a playoff game. And, of course, again, when you're speaking about a pass rush, the Philadelphia Eagles 70 sacks leading the NFL this season. James Bradbury had an interception for the Eagles. 
the first by an Eagles cornerback since week nine. More evidence, if you want more evidence of first half domination when the game was really, uh, was, was really, you know, being played for real, Philadelphia had 258 total yards compared to 64 total yards by the Giants. Philadelphia had, had 18 thir- first downs. New York had three. Third down conversions, the Eagles were six of seven. The Giants were one of five. Time of possession, the Giants had it for over 20 minutes. The Eagles had it for less than 10. So what I can gather, what I can divulge, what I can deduce, Philadelphia Eagles, man, they look ready to win themselves a Super Bowl. All this nonsense about Jalen Hurst's first game in the playoffs or first game for real. You know what's going to be happening, or should I say first game with expectations, because his playoff game last year, it was a situation where, yeah, he's playing, but, you know, they're going to try to find another quarterback, so this is not something that we can really move forward if you really think about the Philadelphia Eagles, even in this past offseason, where they were trying to obtain a quarterback, a.k.a. Um, Deshaun Watson had their dip their toe in the river of Russell Wilson if they could acquire him. So last season's playoff game really wasn't something where we could see what we could do to build with Jalen Hurts. It was probably a situation where, okay, we have this team now. If we could bring ourselves in a franchise quarterback, how quickly can we progress to be one of the better teams in the NFL because we have a good core surrounding Jalen Hurts. Now we just need a quarterback. That was the thinking last season going into the playoffs especially the narrative surrounding Jalen Hurts this season going into the playoffs when you are uh, have the best record in the NFL either the best record or tied for the best record with uh, Kansas City and you have Jalen Hurts who was an MVP candidate until he re- until he uh, injured his shoulder and missed a couple of games the whole narrative deal has flipped the script now was a situation where it's like okay Jalen Hurts did all these things. He came out of nowhere. He was the most improved player. He was the most surprising player. No one saw this, blah, blah, blah. But that was during the regular season. How was this man going to perform in the playoffs? And he showed, especially coming into the playoffs with an injured shoulder. Caught him to miss a couple of games. Was a little bit rusty in the last game of the regular season. Now he had a week off of not playing. How is he going to look? He came out early and said, I'm looking just fine. I'm looking finer than Halle Berry and Boomerang, baby. I'm looking finer than Selma Hayek and Desperado when she was walking across that street in that in that scene uh, starring Antonio Banderas. I'm looking damn good. I'm looking damn good. And he was playing damn good also. So the Philadelphia Eagles, man, they have the... They have the team to get it done. And then I mentioned before, going up against the San Francisco 49ers, it's a situation where, yeah, that 49ers defense is good. And am I expecting a low-scoring game? The uh, 49ers have allowed teams. I remember that game against the Las Vegas Raiders here down in the Allegiant Stadium where they allowed uh, Jared Stidham to put up uh, over 30 points a game on them. So there's been some shaky time for uh, DeMarco Ryan and the uh, defense for that 49ers, uh, for the 49ers. Going into that game against the Eagles, you're speaking about them playing uh, a day sooner or a day later. They played on Sunday, speaking of the 49ers, while the Eagles basically played a half a game on Saturday. So you're speaking about rest. You're speaking about preparation. You're speaking about that advantage going to the Philadelphia Eagles. You're speaking about that home field advantage, which, which is a true advantage when you're speaking about a team in San Francisco that's, that's going to have to fly 
all the way across the country, three-hour time difference to uh, play the uh, Eagles. So you're also speaking about two quarterbacks who are very similar in terms of no one expected them to be in this position if you uh, were asking about this eight, nine, ten months ago, but they are in this position. Which quarterback gives them a better chance to win against going up against defenses that are going to be two of the best in the game. I give that advantage to Jalen Hurts. I think while the San Francisco running game is good, I think, or or better than the Eagles, I think that it's just as good. And while I also think because the totality of their defense and the playmakers on each each, uh, part of the field that the 49ers defense overall is better than the Philadelphia Eagles, I also think the Eagles uh, defense stacks up quite well with the 49ers defense and going up against that running game and against the uh, quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers, I think that the Eagles offense can do enough to win the game and the defensive uh, team for Philadelphia can do enough to uh, have the Eagles win the football game. So I am predicting, as I mentioned before, when speaking about the 49ers because of what the Philadelphia Eagles put down, maybe I'm just being a guy of the moment for the destruction that they had to get the New York Giants team. We we have to kind of go into the conversation in, okay, they beat the New York Giants, but how good then were the New York Giants? And when you equate that to what the 49ers did against the Cowboys, how much of that is going to be going into play coming on Sunday in that NFC Championship game when you're going to have a team that has already been through a true, true tough test in the San Francisco 49ers who are already in that mind state, who already have those bruises, who already have that feeling, who already has been there. So they're in that mode. They don't need to get in that mode. They are already in that mode because of the physicality in the game that they played against the Cowboys. The Eagles, on the other hand, hey man, they took their foot off the pedal and put it in cruise control at the end of the first half against a team that was clearly inferior. So how long, if there's going to be a time period to when Philadelphia is going to have have to reach that level of passion, to reach that level of physicality, to reach that level of mentality that the the, uh, San Francisco 49ers are already there? And you can come out and say, yeah, the Eagles are already going to be there because of the stakes and what's at stake and everything like that. You, You can't tell me that a team like the Philadelphia Eagles in the way that they played and how easily they played uh, their their domination was against the New York Giants is going to already like that hit the switch from jump getty of that football game against the San Francisco 49ers who are already coming in with bumps and bruises but know what it's like it's already up there I think that plays a role and it's going to be interesting to see I don't I don't think that it's going to take Philadelphia long. I don't think it's going to cost them the game because, as I mentioned before, I predicted Philadelphia to win this football game. But how is that going to play into that game moving forward? It'll be interesting the first quarter, the first couple of drives by each team to see if my thoughts and opinions about that uh, prove to be fruitful and impactful. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you can be with us. Yeah, man, I guess the uh, Giants, Eagles had, what, 268 yards rushing on 44 attempts. So they established that dominance. They established that power. And, and, I, and I think that the Eagles can get into that mode quicker when 
you are having that type of domination from the offensive line as far as the offense is concerned, where you're winning a football game where, look, man, you're rushing the ball 44 times and only throwing it 24 times. That's a 20... That's that, 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 that 20 something difference, right? So the Eagles are already in that grinding, you know, dominating, uh, you know, rough and tumble, pancake type of uh, deal for uh, offense because the domination that they had against the uh, Giants. So, how is that going to deal? And on defense, Eagles feeling good. Held the Giants at 227 total yards, 13 touchdowns. Giants only had 109 yards passing and averaged only 3.3 yards per attempt. So it's going to be the, the, the Eagles' domination. They're going to have that mojo. They're going to have that chi. They're going to have that feeling. They're going to have that spriety going into that game, knowing that they had that type of domination going against a going against a San Francisco 49ers team that already came off a game against Dallas where it was, as old J.R. Ross said, a real slobber knocker. And they have that feeling. And they know that they can win those type of games. And they know that it's okay to get dirty. It's okay It's okay to get muddied. It's okay to get bloody because we did it before. And like BJ Penn, we take our fingers and we take the blood from the other opponent and we lick it and it tastes so damn good. Almost like liquid chicken. What? So that is going to be an interesting thing going that way. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Um... Speaking about the um, speaking about the Eagles and the Giants, we spoke about the Eagles, right? Giants, what are, we, what are we going to do with Daniel Jones? Now there's reports coming out that um, the Giants are looking to sign him long term, or signing him to a quarter, uh, signing him to a extension. Giants fans, Daniel Jones fans, what do you think? Where do you go? Yay? Nay? Is this going to be the same situation with the Dallas Cowboys with Dak Prescott? To say, hey, look, man, okay, I, I might not be the biggest Daniel Jones fan, but if we let him go, who are we going to bring in? Because now there's no turning back. There, 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 there's no rebuilding here after what the Giants did this season. You, you can't say, okay, so let's just go ahead and go 4-13 and 13 or 3-14 and, and uh, 14 and draft ourselves another franchise quarterback. You can't do that. You, you have made too much progress to take that far much of a step back. And if you land yourself in a relevant land and be there with the my Washington Commanders, being a Washington Commander fan who is always sitting on the island of mediocrity, believe me, that's an island you don't want to visit. Because it not only doesn't it not have Mr. Work or Mr. Tattoo, but also it doesn't have any beautiful women. You need to get off that boat. It doesn't have Ginger and it doesn't have Marianne, baby. That that island is lonely. I mean, it's Robinson Carusco lonely. I mean, you'll be playing volleyball with with Wilson and Tom Hanks in terms of your desire, in terms of your depression, uh, and your 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 wanting to leave irrelevant island. Because you're not going to be able to build your team the way the Giants want to build their team by sitting at 8, 7, and 2, or 8, and 9, or 9, and 8, or 10, and 7, that type of bullshit. So you have to move forward. The key is, can you move forward? How much more can you move forward with Daniel Jones? How much now, the new regime with Daniel Jones, can you take a look and say, glass half full? We go out and get ourselves a wide receiver. We make a trade for DeAndre Hopkins. We make a trade for a wide receiver. We get lucky in the draft and draft ourselves a wide receiver that can come in and do some things. We give... Uh, 
um, Jones, some playmakers, um, maybe some of the guys that we had, the young bucks that we had on the team this year improve to uh, become a reliable uh, target for Daniel Jones. How, how much are we going to build around Daniel Jones? How much are we going to put our faith into Daniel Jones? And how much money are we going to give Daniel Jones when we know that Daniel Jones still needs some weaponry to be able to reach a full, or a full potential? How are we going to do that? Because he ain't Patrick Mahomes, man. He can't take chick- chicken shit and make a chicken salad, even though the weapons for Kansas City are good. But you put uh, Patrick Mahomes on that squad, then I mean, hell, there we go. I mean, we, we need to get Daniel Jones a receiver similar to what Brock Purdy has with Debu Samuels. We need to do something in terms of giving him a weapon like, jo- like Josh Allen has with Stephon Diggs. We need to do the same thing that the Philadelphia Eagles did uh, the last couple of years where they drafted Devonta Smith in the first round and then made a bold move with the Tennessee Titans to bring in an A.J. Brown. So for the Giants, you need to do that. Because Daniel Jones is not going anywhere. If you don't sign him to a long-term contract, you're going to franchise tag him. So I, I think that Daniel Jones is more a reflection of a quarterback than uh, being uh, with being with uh, Brian Dayball and that coaching, offensive coaching regime, than he was in the years past when you had Joe Judge coaching him. Come on, man. I mean, how successful? I mean, take a look at the uh, New England Patriots uh, passing attack and, and Mac Jones' development as a quarterback from year one to year two and how he played this season. Come on, man. Matt Patricia and Joe Judge were the guys that were calling the plays and putting together the game plan. We saw how inadequate at times Mac Jones looked. So you take that and talk about, well, they were with Daniel Jones for a tenure. I mean, how good could he be? So it'll be interesting. The loss by the Giants, though. I'm going to be speaking about Jacksonville. And I'm going to be speaking about, man, incredible performance by them. And even in the loss, this was really a win long-term for Jacksonville because what they did in playing against the uh, Kansas City football team and this, that, and the other. So even in a loss, playing against the number one seed in the conference, that they should be proud of themselves. For the Giants... And losing to the number one seed in the conference on the road, playing a non-competitive game, it took a step backwards for the future, I think. Questions are now warranted about Daniel Jones. Again, should you re-sign him, I would franchise tag him, or I would sign him to a reasonable contract. Definitely would not be giving that man $40 million. No, <laughs> no. I, I don't know what the bar is. With Daniel Jones, I think he's third-tier quarterback. When you speak about the elite, then you speak about the next level, and then you speak about the next level, the starting quarterbacks in the league. I think Daniel Jones is that guy. So we're speaking about a guy who is probably, yeah, I guess he's probably somewhere, I guess, what, 13? Anywhere from 13 to 18 on any given Sunday, Thursday night, or Monday night, huh? As far as Daniel Jones being one of the best quarterbacks or when you're ranking the, the best quarterbacks in the league, I mean, sometimes you can play like on any given Sunday, he can play like a top 10 quarterback, maybe one or two or three times a year. Most of the time, though, he's going to fall into the range of somewhere around 14 to 17. So what do you give the 14th best quarterback in the league? What do you give the 12th best quarterback in the league? What's the going rate? 
And then how accurate is that assessment? Well, again, you take a look at the weapons that he's had since he's been in New York. You take a look at the coaching that he's had since he's been in New York. Again, I'm not saying that Daniel Jones is a top-tier quarterback in, in waiting to be unleashed by the right uh, coaching staff. But I think from what he's shown, can Daniel Jones move into the bottom tier, bottom second tier of quarterbacks in this league with the right coaching, with the right, right uh, weaponry? Possibly. I think he could. But if they don't do something, this is going to be a situation where, hey, man, the Giants took a step back. They took a step back. And when you have a guy in Daniel Jones who's played 43 games over the last three seasons and he's thrown for only 300 yards three times, and two of those were against a pathetic defense with the Minnesota Vikings, especially in the coordinating, uh, especially in the um, in the secondary, it, uh, it leads to some questions. It leads to some questions moving forward. So, you know, uh, questions abound about the New York Giants. It was a successful season. How much is this embarrassment of a performance to a legit Super Bowl team like the Philadelphia Eagles. And and where are we now with the New York Giants moving moving forward? What what should be the expectations for the New York Giants moving forward? Should they now supplant the Dallas Cowboys as the second biggest threat in the division with the Philadelphia Eagles? Should we be looking at the New York Giants maybe being one of the better wildcard teams next season? Should the expectations for the Giants now be at least the playoffs? Especially after you take a look at the years before Brian Dayball came and how that was not even close to a possibility. What do you do with Saquon Barkley moving forward? So there's a lot of questions about the Giants moving forward. And uh, luckily, if anything happens... I'll be there to tell you about it, and I'll be there to discuss it with you. Um, coming back, man, those, that, that, that Kansas City football team, that Patrick Mahomes, that's a bad mother jammer, ain't he? What he did, and now they go into Cincinnati at the underdogs. They play Cincinnati at home at the underdogs. Ugh, interesting. In Jacksonville, winning by losing. In Trevor Lawrence. We speak about Lamar Jackson getting his money. We speak about Joe Burrow getting his money. We speak about uh, Justin Herbert getting his money or the next that the next group of quarterbacks that's going to, uh, quote-unquote, break the bank. When you speak about Herbert, when you speak about Lamar Jackson, and you speak about Joe Burrow. But then after that, it's Trevor Lawrence. The legend continues. The leadership continues. The franchise potential generational great quarterback continues. We will continue to speak about what's happening in the NFL as we continue Wendell's World in Sports. Wendell's World in Sports. 
I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast as I'm waiting for the midnight hour. That's when my love comes a tumbling down. I don't know what made me say that, but screw it. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Um, Kansas City, the football team. Very professional playoff performance against the Jacksonville Jaguars, 27-20. to uh, 20. Um, it, was, it was a good game from Kansas City. I guess everything was overshadowed because of the injury to Patrick Mahomes. Uh, Mahomes threw for 195 yards, two touchdowns, missed most of the uh, second quarter after his ankle was landed on by a Jacksonville defender. He returned to the second half, led the, uh, led Kansas City on a 75-yard TD drive in the fourth quarter to put the game out of reach. Travis Kelsey, the ultimate weapon as far as tight end and receiver is concerned inside the red zone. Career-high 14 catches for 98 yards, two touchdowns. Isaiah Pacheco for Kansas City, supplanting, supplanting Clyde Edwards-Hilaire at the starting quarterback for a while now, had 95 yards. Kansas City won a football game, playoff football game, I guess you can say, in NFL football style, right? How would you consider that game against the uh, Jaguars? Grinding, physical, control the line of scrimmage, more balance on offense between running the ball and, and passing the ball. When you take a look at throwing the ball 37 times while running it 30 times, Mahomes averaged about 6.5 yards per pass. His longest play was only 27 yards, so there weren't any really big completions. There weren't any oh-my-goodness plays. There weren't any bombs. There weren't any spectacular plays. It was just grinding. It was just muddling. It was just physical. It was just being patient. It was just taking his time. As a team, Kansas City ran the ball 30 times for 144 yards, almost 5 yards per carry. There were no spectacular run plays. There were no 50-yard touchdown runs. There were no 60-yard runs to uh, put the team into position to score. It was just a grinding. It was just a physical. It was just one of them games, man, where it's like, you know what? Patrick Mahomes can't be Superman in terms of, you know, he can't be Harlem Globetrotterish. He can't be highlight realish. He can't be, oh my goodness. He can't be, did you see that type of shit? Did you, he wasn't that. He had to be tough. He had to be grinding. He had to be patient. He had to do all those things. And he had to do that basically on one and a half legs. And that's exactly what he did. You take a look at the time of possession. 35 minutes for Kansas City. They committed only three penalties. Didn't turn the ball over. Playoff style football. Scoring 27 points. Doing it the hard way. Not with the spectacular. Not with the unbelievable. Not with the dramatic. Not with the high-fiving. Not with the moving and grooving. Not with the oh my goodness. It was tough. It was not pretty. I mean, it was Whoopi Goldberg ugly to try to put that ball in the end zone. It wasn't Halley. It wasn't Layla Roshan. It wasn't Monica Bellucci-ish. It was tough. It was physical. It was... It was uh, it was something else, man. But that's the type of game that Kansas City needs to win. That's the type of game that shows the substance of a championship team. You know, you can't be flying and high-fiving and doing all those type of things all the time, man. A team is physical, a team is hungry, a team that's going to go in there like uh, Jacksonville and do what they did. Kansas City had to prove that they could win a football game like that. And they did. When you speak about who should be the MVP of the game, or at least get the game ball. Yeah, Patrick Mahomes, the legend grew. 
Yes, it's unbelievable. Yes, the running game. Yes, the offensive line. Yes, all those things came into play. But I think a big shout-out, special dedication, should go to Chad Henney. Now, you're going to be saying, how in the world can a 37-year-old journeyman who was 5 of 7 for 23 yards get a shout-out, get a pound, get a high-five, get a dance with the beautiful lady at the bar? Uh, how, how are you going to say that nonsense, Wendell? Because if it wasn't for Chad Henning, man, that game for Kansas City could have gone sideways, and it could have gone sideways very quickly. When you're speaking about Henning who led Kansas City on a 12-play, 98-yard touchdown drive, won the score with 10-7 uh, Kansas City midway through the second quarter, and that was right after um, Mahomes got hurt, and he was limping, and at first he waved him off. No, nah, man, get back out. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And then he came out, and you just saw him hopping around like an Australian kangaroo, hang, handing off the football. You saw the discomfort. You saw uh, the, the, the immobility. And then he came off and he slammed down his uh, jacket because Randy Reese said to let you get checked out. You ain't going back in, homeboy. So he went back into the, um, he went downstairs to get checked out. Kansas City leading 10-7. Jacksonville, they're knowing this. Jacksonville is like, oh shit. Now we really, we have a chance, chance, a chance, chance. I thought we would win. We're young. We're cocky. This, that, and the other. Now is the situation, man. They're goat. They're God. They're everything. They're man. He's gone. The Messiah does bleed when you're speaking about NFL football quarterbacks this year. He does bleed. He can't get hurt. And he is hurt. Now this is our chance. The momentum could have swung to Jacksonville so quickly because they punted that ball down at the two-yard line. If Kansas City goes three and out and they're punting from their own end zone, and Jacksonville received the ball, and they get the ball in Kansas City territory. Now it's just not a situation where um, Jacksonville believes that something great can happen. All of a sudden, now Kansas City is like, oh, shit. Our guy ain't here. Our quarterback ain't here. All of a sudden, now that play calling has to change. All of a sudden, now that momentum. All of a sudden, now that feeling. I can feel it coming in the air tonight. Whoa, you could just feel that, oh shit, hey man, we got ourselves a chance, we got our opportunity right here. That's what Jacksonville is thinking, if you can't sit you're like, my man is gone, what's going to be happening? Chad Henney saved the day, went down, scored that touchdown, completed a short pass uh, to uh, 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 Tony um, on, on a third down play, um, Kadarius Tony, uh, third and three. At the 23-yard line, completed that pass, swung the momentum right back to Kansas City and eased any concerns about the injury to Mahomes. Mahomes came back and said, don't worry about it. I mean, you know, Superman, okay, there might be a little kryptonite, but that's okay. Our Superman is still a-flying. Superman is still a-going. Okay, you know, Tony Stark, I put back on my suit, and I'm ready to ram and jam and get and, and, and be the man. So it was a situation where it was kind of like, give it up to uh, Chad Henney for really saving the day. Because he completes that 98-yard touchdown, makes it 17-7. to And even if Mahomes didn't come back, he lets the guys know that, hey, man, we got this. Don't worry about it, man. We ain't going in the tank. If Patrick can't come back, he did come back. They had the lead. Kansas City went on to uh, win that football game. For Jacksonville, they had their chances. They had their chances. But they couldn't get it done when they needed to get it done. Trevor Lawrence finished with 217 yards passing with a touchdown. Uh, 
Travis Etienne had 62 yards rushing and a touchdown. Jacksonville showed it was competitive, but when it came down to a few plays to make it competitive, man, the Jaguars just couldn't get it done, man. When you're speaking about two of the last three drives of the game ended in turnovers for Jacksonville, when you're speaking about Jamal Agnew fumbling the ball after catching a slam pass inside the Chiefs with 10-yard line, fumbling it. Uh, inside the uh, five with five and a half minutes to go. Jalen Watson then making a leaping one-handed interception to take the ball away again on the uh, next possession for Jacksonville ball game. But man, as I speak about the Jaguars now on the uh, on Wendell's World of Sports with yours truly, Wendell Wallace, what a year for the Jaguars. Hmm? Moving forward, what a year, right? Finishing 3-14 and 14 last year, becoming one of the more dysfunctional teams in sports. I mean, hell, they were almost at the level of my Washington Commanders when it came to embarrassing uh, dysfunctional uh, acts in the NFL as far as an organization is concerned with the hiring of that clown Urban Meyer. But within, I don't know, about 12, 13, 14 months, 18 months, right? They hired Doug Peterson as their head coach. They went from 3-7 and seven, one point at the season to go 8-9. and nine. When, you know, it was a situation, there, there was a situation as early as week 8, 9, and 10 where it was still a bad mark. It was still an embarrassment on any team that would lose to the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, if you were a team that was halfway decent and you lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars, it was like soul-searching time, right? I mean, Jacksonville was in that tier. Jacksonville was considered that team. Jacksonville was considered at the time everybody's homecoming game. So if you lost to Jacksonville, then what's going on, especially if you had aspirations of just being decent? I mean, if you're the Houston Texans and you lose to the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars, who cares? If you're the Chicago Bears and you lose to the Jaguars, who cares? You stink anyway. But if you were a team that really just wanted to be average and you lost to the Jaguars, do you remember Armageddon when the Cowboys lost to Jacksonville? In overtime, and everybody was like, oh my goodness, this is just unbelievable. Now we have to rethink about what the Cowboys season is all about because when you lose to Jacksonville, you have to. No, now Jacksonville is like, uh uh-uh. We ain't that squad no more. We ain't that team no more. We ain't that punching bag no more. We ain't that laughing stock no more. We ain't the Washington Commanders of the AFC anymore. So, uh, yeah, man, give, give it up to those guys. Won the AFC South for the first time since 2017. Erased a 27 and nothing deficit against the uh, Chargers in the wild card game, which was the third largest comeback in playoff history, and then played well on the road against the number one team with the best record in the AFC. Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence, Trevor Lawrence. You want me to speak about Trevor Lawrence? I'm going to speak about Trevor Lawrence here on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast with yours truly, Wendell Wallace, Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> man, guy's going to make some money, man. The guy's going to make some what, 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 what coaching will do for a quarterback. Man, Doug Peterson, if, if, if Trevor Lawrence turns out to be everything that we think he's going to be or what he projected to be as early as a freshman in high school, if he turns out to be that generational great guy besides the statue that they'll put up for uh, Trevor Lawrence in the year 2043, when I'll either be in my 80s or be dead, they better also put a a uh, a, a, a um, statue of Doug Peterson because he saved a Hall of Fame career in Trevor Lawrence and he saved years and years of pathetic uh, football play in Jacksonville 
because of what that man did from year one to year two with Trevor Lawrence, the the improvement that he made, tremendous, tremendous. Now, now he has elevated himself, I think, more than any other quarterback in the league. You can talk about the surprise uh, a season that uh, Geno Smith had for the uh, Seattle Seahawks. You can talk about J- Daniel Jones. No one has been more surprising in terms of his elevation. No one has uh, elevated their game more than Trevor Lawrence. And now he should be considered as one of the top 10 quarterbacks in the league. Going into next season, the expectations for Trevor Lawrence is he is now a top 10 quarterback in the league. He's right in the same category as Mahomes, Allen, Burrow, Justin Herbert, Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson. Put him right there. Now, he's at the lower end of that. But hell, man, we're speaking about a guy who's, what, going to be 23, 22, 23 years old, so some nonsense like that. Him and Justin Herbert are going to rule the league in about six or seven years. And he has distanced himself from the other QBs in this class. I mean, you take a look at Zach Wilson. We, we don't know what his future is going to be with the New York Jets. Trey Lance, we don't know what his future is going to be with the San Francisco 49ers. He's only been able to get on the field for, what, a game and a half? of uh, NFL regular season action. Zach Wilson was a dumpster fire at times for the Jets, not only with his play, but showing some of his immaturity. Uh, Justin Fields, the the, the, the Chicago Bears uh, organization, he's gonna, they're going to get that guy killed. He has no offensive weapons. He has a sorry offensive line, and they're asking him to run the football. Okay, that's a recipe for someone to be a bust. You give him no offensive weapons whatsoever. You put the worst offensive line in front of him. And then, because he can run very well, you're going to be running running plays for the guy. When is he going to learn how to pass? When is he going to get better in that situation? Y'all better go out and get him somebody who can teach him how to pass and pe- teach him some passing concepts. I'm not saying that he's completely inept in that, in that regard. But when everybody's getting giddy and dancing and doing their thing when he runs for 68 yards and he finishes the game with 150 yards rushing and 125 yards passing, that ain't good. And that ain't going to last. And you don't want that from your franchise quarterback. So, I mean, a lot of it has to do with the environment. A lot of that has to do with coaching. But, you know, in, in one year, Trevor Lawrence went from being a guy who, who worth speaking about saying, Hey, man, is this guy ever going to... Oh, okay, you got Doug Peterson and... Oh, yeah, okay. Now, he's had some ball games where he was rough. He's had some moments in this past season where it was rough and it was tough and it was mumbling and it was scumbling and it was fumbling and it was grumbling. All those being negative connotations. But, hey, man, uh, the, 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 the arrow is pointed way up for Trevor Lawrence. And for Justin Fields, we don't know. For Trey Lance, we don't know. For Zach Wilson, we don't know. For Mac Jones, we don't know. There's no doubt about the direction for Trevor Lawrence. So along with Burrow and Herbert, we'll have to see more about Hurts. This is the next great generational franchise quarterback that we're talking about. More so than any other quarterback in his generation. Him, Herbert, Burrow, possibly Hurts. Don't put in Kyler Murray. Don't put in Daniel Jones. Don't put in Tua Tagovailoa. Or don't put in Jordan Love. Those four, Herbert, Hertz, Burrow, Lawrence. 2027, 2028, those are going to be the men. Unless 
you know, I don't know, maybe Malachi Nelson, maybe Arch Manning, maybe Bryce Young, maybe, I don't know, somebody might might also sneak into that uh, conversation. But uh, Trevor Lawrence has put himself squarely in that uh, in that conversation. So, yeah, man. I, I guess here on Wendell's World of Sports with your host, Wendell Wallace, I need to talk about uh, Patrick Mahomes, right? What he did. Am, am I kind of like overlooking? That's how great the man is. I'm overlooking the fact that he damn near broke his leg. Now he has a high ankle sprain. He left the stadium without a boot. So I'm not going to downplay to say, oh, well, he should be fine. He should throw for 405 touchdowns against the Bengals on Sunday. No, but what I'm saying is the legend of Patrick Mahomes grows. Um, as I mentioned before, x-rays were taken during halftime. They were negative, but he apparently has a high ankle sprain. That was from the NFL Network, Ian Rappaport. Uh, Mahomes is just is unbelievable, man, in every sense of the word. And as you speak about his five seasons as a starter, and you speak about in 2018, he made the championship game. In 2019, he wins the Super Bowl. In 2020, he goes to the Super Bowl. In the 2021 season and 2022 season, this past two seasons, he made the AFC championship game. The point is now, is he going to be able to beat Joe Burrow? Is he going to be able to come back and defeat Joe Burrow? Is he going to be able... To, and, I, and I hate to say Joe Burrow because the last time I checked, Joe Burrow wasn't rushing Patrick Mahomes uh, from the defensive lineman. The last time I checked, um, Pat, uh, Joe Burrow wasn't the man at the uh, Mike Linebacker position calling plays. Last time I checked, Joe Burrow wasn't the guy that was out covering the wide receivers for Kansas City. So when we always speak about the game is going to be between Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes, no, that is a misnomer. That is a fallacy. That is a lie. It's going to be the team led by Joe Burrow from the quarterback position versus Patrick Mahomes quarterbacking the Kansas City football position from the offensive standpoint. There's a whole lot of other moving pieces that we're going to have to contend with here because more than Joe Burrow, if I'm Patrick Mahomes and I'm Andy Reid and I'm Eric Bieniemy and I'm that offensive line, I'm going to be more concerned about Lou Amaretto and that defense and the way that they just smothered, the way that they just kept down, the way that they confused, the way that they frustrated the Buffalo Bills. That's what I'm more concerned about. If I'm Patrick Mahomes, I don't give a flying fuck about what uh, Joe Burrow is doing. Because I got to go out and I got to face a defense that basically shut down one of the best quarterbacks and one of the best offenses in the league at home in the snow uh, seven days ago. So I'm going to have to do something about that. So... The way Kansas City played, you know what, screw the last break, I'm just going to go for it. This is the last uh, segment of the podcast, because I'm on a roll, and uh, I want to hurry up and watch the Clippers and the uh, Lakers play, so pardon my uh, pardon my uh, putting this into uh, second gear and moving and grooving as my show keeps improving. But, um, yeah, so against the, um, against the, in this AFC Championship game, man, this, this is going to be a situation where it's kind of like, look, man, how much pressure can the Cincinnati Bengals put on Patrick Mahomes, of course? And what about that ankle? What about the mobility of Patrick Mahomes? It's, it's not about Lamar Jackson. We, we all know that Patrick Mahomes is a passer or is a scrambler, but he's not a runner. I mean, his pocket presence is outstanding. You don't have to worry about... Um, you don't have to worry about Patrick Mahomes in the same terms that you do a Jalen Hurts or a Josh Allen or a Lamar Jackson in terms of running the football. But Mahomes is just as effective in terms of when he needs to get where he needs to go, he gets there. Now, Lamar can take a running play and turn a 65 yards into a touchdown. 
Um, Josh Allen can take a third and seven and get hit at the uh, four yards short of the first down and still plow his way through for a uh, first down. Uh, Jalen Hurts with the big, thick, powerful thighs and legs of his, as far as football is concerned, fellas, don't, don't judge me. But in terms of that, I mean, he can go ahead and he maneuvers. He has the power. He has strength. He has the speed to be elusive and be powerful to pick up a first down or to make a big play, if possible, being the variety of 30 or 40 yards. I told you about uh, Justin Fields and his ability to run the football. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is not that guy. But Patrick Mahomes always seems like if it's third and 12, 12 and he is... Uh, escaping from the pocket or if he feels fresh pressure from the pocket that he's going to be able to go ahead and make a play with his feet as well as his arm in terms of he might um, in, in a much slower sense he might get that 15 yards on say for instance like let's just say for instance like a third and nine Mahomes is going to get that 10 or 12 yards for that first down but it's not going to be the same dynamicism. It's not going to be with the same elusiveness. It's not going to be with the same speed. It's not going to be with the same um, uh, uh, the same type of uh, skill or athleticism that a Herbert, or excuse me, that a Josh Allen or a Jalen Hurts or a Lamar Jackson or a Fields is going to give you when he's injured. The envision of Trey Lance doing those things for the 49ers. But Mahomes, in his methodical, plotting, semi-plotting type of way, is going to somehow, some way, get that first down. It might Im- involve a juke. It might involve a runover of a defensive end or a cornerback or a safety. But some way, somehow, he is going to get that first down. How much of that is going to be taken away because of that high ankle sprain. Not so much um, in terms of, again, running the football like uh, some of these quarterbacks that I just mentioned, but his mobility to move within the pocket to either find enough time to find somebody for a big play or for a play that's going to move the change or move the ball in a positive way. But also, when you would need that critical first down, he's going to be have the ability to pick up seven on third and six or pick up nine on third and seven. What are... What, what, what type of debilitation is going to be uh, becoming of that uh, injury that he just had in the game against Jacksonville? Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you can be with us. And for Cincinnati, man, situation where the, the, the game was so impressive for the, uh, for the Bengals because outside of the Giants, or outside of the... Um, Outside of the Eagles game against the Giants, the just the the balance on offense that the Bengals showed against a team like the Bills in the weather conditions to be able to do what they did to move the football right away, to be able to move the football through the air and on the ground. An offensive line that came in not at 100% with some important pieces missing from that offensive line. To dominate the Bills' defensive line like they did. Now, yes, the Bills didn't have Von Miller playing. And I know their secondary was banged up. But still, the way that they just seemed to look like the more, the, the better team. A team that was better coach. A team that was more prepared to play. A team that believed more in themselves that they would win the football game. And a team that as the game went on 
kind of felt the confidence that, hey man, we cannot be stopped. We are not going to lose the game. Not only did they project that in the way that they were playing, but by projecting that in the way that they were playing, it showed the Buffalo Bills that, guess what, man? We do not have a chance. And when you speak about, oh my goodness, you could, DeMar Hamlin's in the building and, and, and that's going to fuel the passion and that's going to fuel the fire and that's going to give um, the inspiration for the Bills to run through a wall and do all these type of things because Hamlin's in the stadium, this, that, and the other. You know, in a game that was so dominant, in a game that seemed to be so one-sided in terms of the Bengals' domination, especially along the offensive and defensive line, Having DeMar Hamlin there, in a way, could act like a negative. Because now you're thinking about my my, my, my boy, my, my guy who almost died, this, that, and the other, my brother. He's up there watching, and we're getting our ass kicked. And there ain't nothing we can do about it. Th- that could be deflating. That could cause Buffalo to lose even more confidence. I'm not saying that it did. But you would have to think that, man, if, if, if it's like a situation where, fellas, listen to me for a little bit. Let me talk to uh, let me talk to my young bucks who are listening to this podcast real quick. I'll make it real quick. If, if you're out there playing, man, and this girl that you're trying to impress is at the game, right? And you want to, it's at the football game and you're the quarterback and you're, and the girl that you're trying to impress is in the stands, right? You want to go out there and you want to play like Patrick Mahomes, right? You want to go out there and be like Superman, right? If you're playing basketball, you want to go out there and be Luka. You want to be Jokic. You want to be Giannis. You want to be LeBron. You want to be Kobe. You want to be MJ all wrapped in the one. So that female can say, oh yeah, I'm taking my clothes off for you tonight, big boy. Hell yeah. You want to have that type of performance. You want to have that type of game. I mean, if you go out there and you're embarrassing yourself, and you throw three interceptions, and you're getting your ass kicked, or that the guy that you're guarding has already yoked on you a couple of times, and has shut you down, and has blocked your shots, and has stolen the ball, and you're sitting on the bench as your team is losing by 25, and the woman that you want to go out with, the woman that you want to go to the prom with, the woman that you want to sleep with, is going to be walking out the door and saying, nah, I'm good, I'm, I'm, I'm fine, see you later, Who's, who are you again, what's your name, never mind, I'll buy that. Won't. It's like, that's deflating. <laughs> that's deflating. It's like, coach, don't put me in. I'm good. I'm getting my ass whooped and I ain't getting no trim tonight. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm just going to have to hang with my homeboys tonight and uh, walk around with my head down and look like a chump. That's the same thing with the Buffalo Bills, man. I'm not, I mean, in terms of you have Hamlin there in the stands and just like, damn, man, this is just like... <sighs> man, this ain't good. This ain't good, man. My boy's up there watching. We're getting our asses whooped, and there's nothing that we can do about it. So, Cincinnati was tremendous. Joe Burrow, what he did in the um, in the weather, in the elements, was was absolutely outstanding. Um, I mean, Burrow really had the chance. If you think about it, I mean, we, we always spoke about Josh Allen being who? Who is that guy? That's going to challenge Patrick Mahomes for the top spot in in, in quarterbacking, this, that, and the other. And we always said it's going to be Allen. It's going to be Allen, right? There are some people, because of his size, because of his arm strength, uh, because of his running ability, because of his physicality, because of his size, his strength, and this, that, and the other. A lot of people were already sitting there talking about, yeah, I think that that, uh, Josh Allen is already better than Patrick Mahomes, right? How quickly a year makes, because now... After the end of Sunday, there's more water to be built for that statue or for that uh, 
premise that guess what? It ain't Josh Allen that's going to supersede Patrick Mahomes as the best player in the game. It's going to be Joe Burrow. And man, would you have ever guessed that when Joe Burrow, you didn't even hear of Joe Burrow until his senior year in college, right? I mean, you didn't know the Joe Burrow story until his senior year in college. The rise of Joe Burrow is unbelievable to where a guy who couldn't get playing time because of Dwayne Haskins at Ohio State. So he had to transfer. He transferred to LSU his junior year. I saw him against, I saw him play his junior year at LSU. Nothing told us he would be like this. Nothing. He played his junior year. He played one good game against Auburn. One. The others, he was decent. He was all right. He was good. There was no sign of this. From I don't I don't know again I, when when someone makes this jump, when someone improves this much, from Joe Burrow from his junior year to his senior year to now where he is in the NFL. Hey man, Joe Burrow, you tell us where the body of Robert Johnson is. Tell us exactly what happened when you went down the Mississippi and went down to the crossroads, because back in the early teen or back in the back in the early twentieth century. Blues legend, one of the greatest musicians of all time, uh, uh, Robert Johnson, horrible blues player, went down to the crossroads, Mississippi, asked the devil to give him his guitar, and he came back playing stuff that no one had ever heard of, wouldn't, couldn't believe it, and that's how the legend of Robert Johnson grew. The fact that this man went from being such a sorry uh, blues player to being one of the greatest who's ever lived, if not the greatest who's ever lived, who's still influencing music over 100 years later. Where in the crossroads did Robert Johnson go in Mississippi and what did the devil look like and did he ask for his autograph? That's the same thing I want to see. After your junior year at LSU, uh, uh, Joe, where in Mississippi did you go to the crossroads to uh, have the devil give you that football that is now possessing? And what's going to be happening when you have to give that back, to give your soul to the devil? What's exactly going to be happening? Because, man, what he has done is unbelievable. It's unreal. The story is fantastic. And, yes, Patrick Mahomes was a 12th round, was a was the 12th player pick out of Texas Tech and really didn't light up the sky and light up the scoreboard. We didn't know much about him when he was in college either. So, But, but I think the traje- trajectory that uh, Joe Burrow took from being a guy who couldn't get any time at Ohio State to being mediocre at best at LSU his junior year to all of a sudden winning the Heisman Trophy, setting all types of records in college for one season, being drafted number one by the Bengals, and now in his uh, third year being one of the best quarterbacks, if not the best quarterback in the league outside of Patrick Mahomes. It's Robert Johnson going down to the crossroad and giving his soul to the devil to be good type of greatness. For um, for that man, and it's uh, it's something else, man. It's something else. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. Let me end with this very quickly. Where do we go if you are the Buffalo Bills? What is going to be happening if you are the Buffalo Bills? The game last season against the Kansas City football team where you were 13 seconds away from advancing in the playoffs, how much damage has that done to you? Because outside of that loss to the uh, football team from Kansas City last season, 
This is not as devastating because you were 13 seconds away from winning that game, but this is somewhere in the neighborhood because you had everything going for you. you we speak about the Cowboys um, missing an opportunity for possibly winning a Super Bowl. You could say the same thing about the Buffalo Bills, man. The Buffalo Bills came into this season that the team that was supposed to compete or be one of the leaders that was supposed to compete for the NFL championship and Josh Allen was supposed to make that leap into being an MVP and being able to lead his team to a Super Bowl championship and they did neither on all fronts. The Bills, if you take a look at this, they underachieve. For a team who at the very least should have been going to the AFC Championship game, if not the Super Bowl, they failed. The season was a failure. And yes, I know there were some things outside of football that affected uh, maybe what how they played. When you're speaking about things that happened in the community, the mass shooting within the Buffalo area before the season started. When you're speaking about DeMar Hamlin, when you're speaking about the blizzard and uh, what, it, what, what, what that blizzard put the Buffalo community through. Yes, all of these things might have played a role, man. But hey, everybody's got problems. Everybody has expectations. The Bills' expectations should not have changed. And if they were going to lose, they should have gone out in a much stronger fashion than, than they did against Cincinnati on this past Sunday. You should have. If you lose after a great game in overtime to Cincinnati, it's disappointing, but I don't think it's a failure. The real failure, the real disappointment, the real head-scratching, the real head-downing comes from the way that you played, the way that you were outcoached, the way that you just, just didn't see. You were just off. And it was a bad day to be just off, to be dominated like that. So I, I think... For Buffalo, hey, look, man, I'm not saying that they need to fire anybody or, or trade anybody or something, but they need some help because Cincinnati exposed each one of their flaws on offense and defense. On defense, the secondary due to injuries was banged up. The secondary for the Bills have been a liability or a weakness of their team all season long. When they lost uh, Von Miller for the season from injury, uh, that didn't help their pass rush press rush which in turn did not help their secondary and then on the and then on offense man you, you have josh allen doing everything you guys need a devlin devlin uh, singletary and james cook ain't getting it done you guys need a running back somehow somewhere some while because not not only are you uh missing out on having some balance on offense but, man, you're taking some necessary wear and tear off the tires of Josh Allen if you want him to be that franchise quarterback and be at the top of his game for, I don't know, maybe the next 11, 12, 13 years. Because you can't have this guy come back every game and throw the ball 35, 40 times and run it 8 to 12 times with most of those runs being design runs. You can't have Josh Allen be the entire ball of wax. You can't have him be the passing game and the running game, too. Not for long. And those weaknesses were exposed by the uh, Cincinnati Bengals. So again, this is not I'm, not I'm not saying you fire everybody, but I just think that there needs to be some serious fine-tuning with the uh, Buffalo Bills. And it's also a matter of, hey, look, man, three years ago, or you know, a couple, a couple of years ago, you lost in the AFC Championship game to Kansas City. Kansas City at that time clearly was the better team. Then you lost uh, last season in an epic game, one of the greatest playoff 
football games of all time, but you were 13 seconds away from moving to the next round and you lose. Now you lose at home to Cincinnati with your inspirational leader, uh, um, uh, Damar Hamlin, uh, and his family in the stands. You lose at home. You get dominated at home against Cincinnati. There's no shame in losing to those teams. But now moving forward, or at least in this situation, a red flag must must occur because it's not that you lost to Cincinnati. It was the way that you lost. And that should be alarming for those guys. All right, I am out of here. I am good to go. Um, I want to thank everybody for listening to my podcast, listening to my show, as always, as I always say, always, always, always. Hey, man, can we please try to treat each other like human beings with some love and respect and kindness? Can we please have a conversation with someone who doesn't look like us from a different part of the world, from a different part of the neighborhood, different race, different gender? Can we please do something to listen to learn, to grow, so we can pass it down to our children. Too late for my generation, too late for your generation, but if you, we can save our children from going through some of the nonsense and going through some of the bullshit and going through some of the ignorance that we're going through right now, fuck you, Ron DeSantis, you racist, ignorant, lousy, privileged piece of shit. Don't need fucking uh, African-American studies. You know what we don't need, motherfucker? We don't need you. How about that? But... You know, you're dealing with Florida. Not the, not overall, not the most educated group of folks, especially when you're speaking about northern Florida. The nor- farther north in Florida you get, the farther south you get, if you get my drift. So, um, yeah, man, let's see what we can do to uh, teach the right. Let's teach the uh, ignorant the truth and um, all those good things. All right? Get me out of here, man, with some music. <laughs>